Um, we're going to continue uh, talking about the gospel today. Is that all right? So today we're uh, calling this sermon, Leaving the Pigs in the Place of Repentance in the Gospel. So um, I just want to do a, a little bit of review here. Uh, remember back at Christmas, we talked about the angels coming and delivering the good news. You remember that? And how uh, uh, they, they were like heralds of good news. You remember, uh, you don't remember probably because you were never in the 19th century New York scene, uh, but you've seen movies when you see all the, the, the newsboys out there going, extra, extra, read all about it, new mayor, whatever, right? Okay, that's what the angels were doing that, that day. They were saying, extra, read all about it, new king of the universe, born in Bethlehem. Pretty cool, all right? The gospel is that announcement. It's more of an announcement than an invitation, saying there is a king and his name is Jesus. The story of the gospel goes from, from there, okay? The, uh, it's, it starts with a loving father. The gospel isn't four points, okay? It's not a four-point system. You with me? Okay, it's not a system. The story is, it starts with the love of the Father. And we talk a lot about the love of the Father. Have you guys noticed that here? We talk about that every once in a while. We mentioned that he's a good father. Have you heard that once or twice here? We're not ever going to stop that. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It's going to be a theme and we're going to hit it. We'll probably say something about it every single week because it is the predominant analogy throughout Scripture. He says, I am your Father. He sends Jesus to lead us back to the Father. So Pastor Joshua hit that again last week, and we will continue to talk about that forever and ever. That's where it starts. Now, if you don't say anything but that, then you're leaving out a whole bunch of the story here and that we need to talk about. The love of the, he never stops being loving, but there are some conditions and there are some situations here that need to be dealt with even today. So we're going to go further along in the story. Um, the story uh, uh, is bleak. We know God creates children. He creates us, and we go wayward. The enemy comes. We forget that. You remember, remember that God has an enemy? I find it disturbing sometimes when we talk about, say, why bad things happen, and we only talk about the sovereignty of God. We only talk about, well, why did... Well, what did, why did he allow this to happen? Or what, we, we talk all about our theology of God, but we never bring up the devil in this. And I think that's a little bit uh, dangerous, actually, because then you start attributing everything that happens to the will of God. But you forget, wait a second, hold on. We're forgetting something. There's an enemy here. And he plays a, a big role in this story. So the enemy comes and he tempts and he steals us and takes us away. Now it's not complete. So, so we're, we're victims in this story, but we're also perpetrators, aren't we? Because we know we don't have to go along with anything that he tells us, yet we have. And this happened very early on, and immediately the Lord has a plan to bring us back. So he does. The rest of the story of Scripture is a rescue mission. The Bible is a story of a rescue. It's a story of God becoming man and leading up, leading up for a long time in preparation of this people and finally God becomes a man, 
to bring his children home, to rescue them from the darkness that they've been in. Are you with me still? This is like 101 stuff, right? Okay, should be, should be 101 stuff for us here. He made a way for us to come home, and his way allowed, uh, allows us to come home without punishment, without actually getting the thing that we deserve. He forgives He finds a way to fulfill both mercy and justice so we don't have to face the penalty that we ought to face. That is what he's already done, and this is where we find ourselves. Does this make sense? Pretty simple. Okay, this is the gospel. He did all we can do. That's the story. So what are we going to do? Here's the question. How do we respond to this? We know he's good. We see what he's done. Does it end there or do we have a part to play? Many would say that the entire story of the gospel is only what God does and it has nothing to do with what we would do. And I take issue with that because I think there's something, I think, I think we do have a, a part to play in this and that's what we're going to talk about. So, for example, we have the prodigal son and this is a wonderful story that Jesus told that we often go back to because it presents a whole lot of, of this uh, quite clearly. We know the father's waiting for his son after the son. Remember, essentially what he says is, Dad, you're better off dead to me than alive because I want my inheritance. Well, generally, you don't get your inheritance until your parents pass away. But he says, I would rather have it now and just have you out of my life. And his father gives it to him. No, he runs away. He squanders it all. He wastes it. He finds out he's a terrible businessman, not a very good partier either because all his friends leave him. So he winds up hanging out with pigs. Not the best, you know, posse to have there and finally one day he he comes to his senses the father's waiting he comes to his senses and he thinks my goodness I had it a whole lot better at home and what am I doing out here see here's the thing he realizes some things he goes actually a lot further than many of us do sometimes he realizes okay I've messed up I got myself into a terrible situation. I should never have left my dad in the first place. It was better at home. And I don't deserve to be home. He knows it. He knows he doesn't deserve it. So he's thinking, maybe I could just go home and work as a servant. I kind of wonder if maybe he had it in his mind, maybe I could pay off the inheritance that I took. Maybe he would let me do that. Maybe he'd let me just in the door. So we know that. He comes home and the father welcomes him. He, he doesn't even get to, to, to get his speech out. So here's the thing. Let's forget about the older brother and some of these peripheral issues and just look at what the son and what the son actually did. What is particularly this? What is the place of repentance in this story? What is the place of his repentance? Because he sins. So what is the place? How do we address sin in the story of the gospel? Do you see what I'm asking? See, it's such a loaded issue, isn't it? Because today, people have, people, the words sin and repentance do a weird thing today, uh, particularly this word repentance. It's a heavy word. It creates dust when it falls. We hear it and we go, oh, you know, let's just talk about the goodness of God instead. Now, I don't think there is a difference between the goodness of God and his call to repentance. And we're going to talk about that. But here's the thing. People have abused the word, and they've said it while spitting. 
Have you ever seen someone spit while talk about repentance? I have. I think I've told you the story before of us having this man come down and speak in our, our Bible school down in YWAM. And we shouldn't have had him because we didn't know him. Bad mistake. And he gets up there and he's just, you need to repent! And, and there's spittle coming out of his mouth. And he, in his gyrations, ends up knocking the microphone off. And all I can think about is, oh my gosh, that's a $400 microphone. And we just replaced it. And now, yes, so. <laughs> And why did we have him come? You see this? So it colors everything. And now when you even mention the word, people assume that you're being judgmental or not loving. So what is the place of this word? It has residual impact. It feels uncomfortable. Well, let's sort of define it first by what it is not. It is not just feeling bad about sin. That's a good place to start. But it's, it's not that only. It's not also saying I'm sorry. Repentance isn't saying you're sorry. How about that? Now, it will probably include an apology, but that's not only what it is. It's not just changing your mind. It's not just having a different opinion than you did before. Okay? I changed my mind about a lot of things back and forth. My wife always laughs at me because whenever we're in a drive-thru, I'll, I'll have my eye on something. Yep, I'm going to get the number three. Really? Yeah, yeah. It just sounds good right now. Love that chicken sandwich. Sounds good. And we get up there, and it's my turn. I go, I'll have a number six. And I don't know why, but it's just, I this urge, you know what I mean? We're, I, I'm like that. Maybe some of you can relate to that a little bit. But we, I think we put so much weight on ind, individual momentary beliefs or opinions that we end up reading them in to the story of the gospel. Well, now I have a different, I, 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 I just, I changed my mind. Isn't that cool? Well, yeah, that's great, but that's not enough. Repentance isn't just any of these things. That's part of it. It is actually a turning around. Do you see this? It is turning around and going the other direction. It is a full 180. That's what it is. It is not enough to just say you're sorry and stay where you are. That is not Repentance. Our culture, our culture finds this entirely unnecessary because they don't believe in sin in the first place. Well, they do. We talked about this. We, we, we talked about this in our alpha group a couple weeks ago. It's funny. When you talk about sin, there's very few things that the culture even considers sin now. So when you, when you mention it, when you mention sin and repentance immediately, well, that's judgmental. Listen, the only entity that's more wavering in their opinions is our culture. You see, our, us as individuals, we change our mind all the time, but our culture is constantly changing its mind. Constantly, you can't keep up. Do you remember about 10 years ago when all the rage was talking about how our water is not clean, so we needed to drink bottled water? Do you remember this? A little more than 10 years, probably, probably late 90s. When, when anytime you put on an event, it was like, oh my goodness, do not drink the water from your water fountains because it's not clean. We need to have bottled water. And so that was the responsible thing to do. Well, what's the opinion now today? Look at how much plastic we're wasting. <laughs> and we're filling up landfills and it's causing all this. Why in the world? And they do our tests of our water, even like New York City, inner city. They're like, this water's fine. It's just as clean as the stuff in the bottles. You see what I'm saying? 
And this is popular opinion. These are the things where it's like, I'll make you feel guilty if you're not doing it this way. And the culture goes like this, and it's everywhere. I am tired of us trying to be relevant all the time. I'm so tired of it. The goal of our faith is not relevance, guys. It's not. So if you have an opinion that, that the world looks and goes, you're crazy. So what? Their ideas are going to change tomorrow. Our faith is very old. And it's going to go on and on and on. When all the kingdoms of this world pass away, Jesus Christ is still going to be on his throne. That was extra right there. That wasn't in my notes. Okay. Actually, it kind of was. I guess it sort of was. All right. So, repentance. Now, I'm going to show... Uh, uh, some biblical examples of, of where this comes from. We're going to go to Bible school a little bit this morning. Is that okay with you guys? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to ask you guys to engage here. I'm worried that I have too much material, so I might go fast. Forgive me. I feel like I'm back down in Texas in my classroom. All right, we ready? Okay, Matthew 121. We're going to see this term and how this is used and how the concept is used in the New Testament and find out if what I'm saying is true. She will bear a son, first of all, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from hell. Wait a second. Whoa, sorry, I misread that. He says I, he will save them from their sins. Well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because so many times we consider the gospel Jesus saving us from hell. He says he'll save them from their sins. Now, I don't have to do this, but I want to show you guys just a, 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 a quick word in Greek here. The word from is a preposition. Now, in Greek, prepositions have motion implied in them. So here's what he's saying. Jesus will save their people away from their sins. Does that add a little bit extra color there for you? He will save their people away from their sins. So in other words... If there is a boy surrounded by a group of tigers, he will save the boy away from the tigers. Do you see that? I think part of the problem is the way that we use the word saved. You know, in the Bible, they didn't walk around talking about if they were saved, as if, if they were standing, as if, if they had a golden ticket or something. That wasn't it at all. He saved the people from their sins. In other words, he rescued them. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to rescue you and rescue me from our own bad choices that will kill us. That's why he came. Are you with me? Yes. Amen. All right. That's why Jesus came. Now look at this. Here's a, here's a great uh, uh, verse in, in the book of Ezekiel. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Isn't that cool? And this is Old Testament. He says, turn away from your sins before it destroys you. Cast away from you all the transgressions you have committed and make yourself a new heart and new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. Does this sound like a fire-breathing, spitting God going, you need to repent? No. He's saying, guys, you're killing yourselves. Turn and live. That's the heart of our Father. Turn and live. I want you to notice a couple things. First of all, it's not a suggestion. 
it would be maybe a good idea if you could, you know, think about turning. Maybe. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was teaching in a YWAM school in Brazil one year, and I had this translator who was from Europe, and I thought she was doing a great job. Of course, I couldn't speak Portuguese, so I couldn't really tell. Well, afterwards, they, the staff is coming to me like, oh my gosh, she was terrible. I'm like, really? She seemed like she was doing okay. They go, no, she's putting like maybe in front of everything you say. And this was one of the examples. Like, maybe you should like think about repenting or something. <laughs> no! He says, guys, you need to do this. Okay? You need to do this. No spittle necessary. You need to turn, because if you don't, you're going to kill yourself. Secondly, repentance promotes wholeness and preserves life. It is for their good. This is not a separation. This is the goodness of God, and now this is the part of God where we have to hear some mean things. It's part of his goodness. Matthew 3, 2. Here we go. John the Baptist, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. In other words, there's a new king, there's a new kingdom. So you need to totally change your mind and turn around from the kingdom that you have been living in, which is your own kingdom, and now come to his. You see that? Acts 2.38. This is Peter on Pentecost. This is after everybody breaks out and is preaching the gospel in languages they can't even speak, yet suddenly they are, and everyone's turning and looking at these guys drunk. Peter gets up and preaches this unbelievable sermon and says, this Jesus that you guys just killed, he was the son of God. And they go, oh, no, that's not good. And they say, what, what do we do? How can we avoid judgment? What do we do? And Peter says this, repent and be baptized. Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You want your sins to be forgiven? Turn around and come back. Have a change of mind. Ask for forgiveness and come back. It's not a suggestion. It was for the forgiveness of sins. Now the Father's offering forgiveness. Sometimes our microphones go out. Back? Back. All right. I might need to grab one of these up here. Back yet? I'm working my way. I don't know who is holding this mic, so hey, hey, hey. I don't. Maybe I should just start screaming like the Frankenstein guy. All right. You need to listen. All right. Repenting for the forgiveness of sins. Isn't this interesting? These two are tied together. Just find that interesting. Acts 3.19. Here's Peter in the temple. He says, repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This is a beautiful verse. This is one where scripture diagramming can be really cool and it jumps out at you. You say, repent, therefore, so that your sins may be blotted out. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If you don't repent, then you're not going to be in the presence of the Lord, in other words. Because you're out away from him. It's as simple as that. 
You see what I'm saying? I think we've gotten way, I think we've over-spiritualized some of these concepts so much. We think there's these different shades of reality or something. When he's, it's as simple as this. Turn around, go back to Jesus so you can enjoy his presence. Your sins right now uh, are keeping you from him. So how about this? How about you leave them and come back? Your sins then can be blotted out and you can be refreshed in the presence of the Lord. It's, it's very simple. Acts 17.30, here's Paul in Athens. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to maybe think about someday maybe turning if they feel like it. He commands all people everywhere to turn around and come back to God. All people everywhere. So it's not a suggestion. Do you understand this? It's not a suggestion. I, I honestly think we, we treat this part of the gospel as an optional upsell. Now think about this. You go into a restaurant. This is kind of cool. I've got, I've got my own little tech guy here. You go into the restaurant, and someone says, okay, you want the number three meal. All right. Uh, would you like an extra? Woo. Extra. <laughs> Thank you, sir. You're a good man, Robert. I feel totally secure in saying that. Am I on here again? Thank you, sir. That's Bible. I, I just want to welcome Scott Flora here this morning. Scott, would you wave? Scott. Scott does come to Christ Center. And I see his wife more than I see him because he never comes when I'm preaching. And I'm pretty sure it's intentional, but this morning I'm so happy to see that smiling bearded face back there. <laughs> Welcome. Sorry, joke there with him. He doesn't intentionally do it, but. I think it's like this. Would you like, uh, would you like to upgrade your regular fries for curly fries? It's only a dollar more. Yeah. Okay, would you also Sunday with that? It's only a dollar more. Well, if you're going to twist my arm. I think we do that with the gospel. Oh. Would you like to go to heaven? Well, yeah, excellent. Would you like to be a disciple starting with repentance? I don't think so. I think I'll just go with heaven. Okay, heaven will be right out. <laughs> you guys, I'm really scared that we do that. Now, what happens if that's the way we end up preaching the gospel and people think that discipleship and repentance really are just optional upsells? What happens if that happens? Then you have a whole lot of people that are walking around still in total bondage to their sin but thinking that they're free when they're really not. Oh, repentance is not optional. I hope you don't hear me breathing fire when I say that. I'm just saying this is, it, it doesn't even make, I, I don't know how it could be. It, it doesn't even make sense to me. It's not optional. You have to turn and come back to his presence, otherwise I don't know what you've done. It's like calling your dad if he can pick you up after school, having nothing to do with him, with anything else. And that's what we do when we advertise heaven without turning away from your sins. It's kind of hot in here, isn't it? Golly. All right. 
Matthew 4, 17, we keep going. Jesus, hey, you could be saying, well, yeah, but those are all the other guys. Well, okay, here's Jesus. Jesus says this, exactly what John the Baptist says. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, okay, but maybe he was just copying John the Baptist. Because <laughs> Jesus, I mean, come on. Jesus doesn't care about repentance. We know that. Jesus just hung out with the sinners, and it was all good, man, right? Well, uh, Jesus, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. <sighs> well, kind of sounds like it's tied in and is an integral part of the gospel, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in my name to all nations. He's being pretty clear about this, guys. But wait, here's... Here's the question that will come up if you're thinking, but wait, I thought salvation is a free gift. Okay? Excellent. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> it is a free gift. But repentance isn't, isn't payment. Um, I, I want to give you an example, um, an analogy here. And I'm going to introduce two terms to you. One is grounds. Okay? You, think, you hear of like legal grounds. This is the Bible school part. And we... I, I want you to try to stay with me if you can. Here's legal grounds, uh, uh, factors forming the basis for an action, okay? And conditions, factors that must exist before something else is possible. These are two different ideas. Now, I want you to imagine that you uh, have a, maybe a sick family member uh, and you've been in the hospital for months and your hospital bills have gotten so out of control there's no way you can pay them. Uh, uh, maybe you owe a half a million dollars. You go, there's, there's nothing I can do. No, please don't read into this as an allegory of salvation. It's not. I just wanna, I want you to understand what these concepts mean, okay? So I'm not drawing any parallels here. So you can't pay that. So then you find out some really good news, and you find out that there's a charity that will pay all hospital bills for some people. And you go, well, dude, I want to find out more about that. So you go into the hospital and you say, is that money available? And the receptionist says, here. And she gives you a clipboard with some papers and she goes, fill out this application. Now you fill out that application. Now here's my question. What happens when the application comes to the board of directors who's over this fund? They go, oh, somebody else filled out an application. Now we're compelled to give them the money. Are they? No, they're not. The application is not grounds for payment. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not enough. That's not like, well, we got, the, we got this, and now we have to do this. That's payment. It's not payment. It's not. There's nothing you can do to pay back that half million dollars. But it, it might be a condition, huh? Because guess what? If you don't fill out the form, you can't get the free gift. Do you see what I'm saying? Here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that repentance and faith are conditions for being restored into relationship with Jesus. They're not grounds. You can't do anything to work your way back into his good grace. You just can't. You can't go, well, I'm just going to. The prodigal son didn't go and try to pay off the money. He couldn't. It's a free gift. But unless you return to him, Unless you turn around and walk back, unless you come home, how can you be restored into the presence of him? How can you? You can't. It's not payment. It's not grounds. It is a free gift. You do have conditions, which is you let go 
of the things you've been going after and you come back to him instead because he's your father. Are you with me? Did that make sense? Okay, you don't have to agree or whatever, but I just wanted to make sure that made sense. So here we go. We're almost there. Back to the prodigal. He's sitting there with the pigs. Can you see him? He's pretty broken up. He's really bummed out. He's like, I messed up royally. I don't know what to do. He knows he blew it. He remembers his father. He knows he doesn't deserve a second chance. So he decides to just go home and throw himself at the mercy of his father and see what he can possibly do. Good move. And notice this. He doesn't think he's deserved a walk back, does he? He's not like, well, I'll just tell my dad that he has to bring me back. No, he doesn't. You can't have that attitude and be received back. Are you with me? He's walking back in humility. These are all good things. But then he does something. You ready for this? You know what he does? He actually gets up and he does it. He gets up and he leaves the pigs. He actually leaves them. He walks away from them. He bids them adieu, Sir Porculus. And he goes home. He does not pick up a pig and carry it home with him. Isn't that cool? Check it out. 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. He might no longer live for himself. This is what the prodigal was facing. It was this. I used to be a part of my father's household. And then I left him, and I wanted him out of my life, and I wanted to live for myself. And in order to come back to him, he had to put that whole notion away. It's a fantasy. It's a fantasy that somehow he deserved the kingdom. He deserved his own kingdom. And he put it down, and he returned home to his father. That is what we're called to. Notice what the father does not do. He does not move their home to the pigsty. He does not say, well, son, you're out there and you, you're enjoying all kinds of um, great stuff over there. Got your loose living, as the older brother described, all the things he was into. You know what? Tell you what. I'll just move our house down right there. Actually, it won't be a house. I'll just bring uh, some sleeping bags. And even though this stuff is killing you, I'm just going to, you know what? This will be great. He doesn't do that. Notice what else he doesn't do. This is awesome. He does not make him take a bath before he gets in, inside the home. He doesn't say, he sees the prodigal coming home, doesn't say, well, look who just showed up. Ugh. You know what? There's a hose there and some Dawn soap. Take a bath, hippie, before you come inside. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? In fact, he's probably going to have a whole lot of work to do to get rid of of some of the mindsets that he's brought in from the pigs in his old life. He might have a long time. Maybe he's got some serious attitude adjustment that still needs to take place. Guess what? The father does not make him get fully clean before he's allowed to get into his presence. He just doesn't. He says, I just want you home. We'll work on that. But if you're willing to leave the pigs and come home, then come home. Please, I will invite you in. I am your father and I've been waiting for you. 
He does not demand that a son pay back the inheritance. And see, this right here is kind of the core of the gospel, isn't it? I'm not going to make you repay it. I'm going to forgive you. That's what the father does. He offers forgiveness to those who want to come home. You see, there's distance. We talk about how sin creates a separation. And I think, I, I think we have, at least me, I had this image in my mind of like this wall. And now there's this wall between me and God. And Jesus comes in and he knocks the wall down. Here's what we need to understand. The wall is down. Jesus is saying, I'm here. There's nothing in the way of you and me. But you know what your sin has done? Your sin has caused distance. And I think that's a better word here than separation. It's caused distance. Do you know why? Because you've simply walked away. Nothing else is holding you back now except for distance. And the only way to come back to him now is to turn around and to walk back. It's to turn around and to come home. That's what repentance is in the gospel. It is letting go of yourself. It is letting go of the fantasy that you're going to live for yourself. That's pure selfishness. You don't deserve that, to be honest. You weren't created for that. You were created to be a prince and princess in the kingdom. You were not created to be the king or the queen. You're a son or a daughter. And, and, and repentance is letting everything else go and saying, I'm coming back to you. And here's the thing. I know I don't deserve it. I know I don't deserve it. But if I can just come back to you, Lord, if you just let me back in, I, I'm going to serve you. And, and there's going to be some hard things along the way. And I, I picked up some bad habits. And I, I can't guarantee that I'm going to do that. I know I'm not going to do this perfectly. I'm probably going to mess up. But I'm determined to stay with you. And here's the thing, guys. This is why it's so confusing, honestly. This is why this, this whole topic is so confusing. Because all of us have the need of repentance still today, don't we? Is when we mess up, we go, how in the world could I do that? How in the world? Because, God, I'm your son, and I, I don't want to do those things. And now I come back, Lord, I'm sorry, I just messed up. But I'm not going to stay away from you. And I will not pursue this thing. I'm sorry that I just did that, and I, I want to be done with it. So help me be fully done with it. And I'm not going to stay away from you. I will not. If my car veers off the road, I'm going to pull it back on and say, Jesus, help me, because I'm not going away from you. And you know what? He's okay with that. Amen. Do you hear me? He's okay with that. You know what he's not okay with? He's not okay with saying, you know what, Lord? I'm just over here, and I'm going to continue in this path. So cover me for heaven, and... I'm, I know you say these things and you want to be my Lord, but actually, you know, culture's just different now. I hear what you say, but here's the thing. I have some different ideas about that. So I'm going to keep going in this way. And I know that you're a God who just loves sinners like me. That's not okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not. And don't hear me as a fire-breathing monster here but it's not okay because if that's your attitude, then there's still distance between you and you haven't come home. Coming home, repentance means letting go of those things and saying, 
you're going to be my king now. That's what coming home is, and that's what he invites us to. It's a change of allegiance. It's saying, I'm no longer going to raise my own flag and follow myself. I am now taking that thing down and burning it, and I'm raising your flag, and now I'm fighting for you. Now I'm living for you. And if I mess up, I'm going to come back and say, Lord, I'm not, I'm not going back there. I'm living for you. Father, take me back in. Restore me. Help me not to keep doing that stuff, and I'm living for you. And you know what he says? Let's do this thing. That's what he says. Maybe you're far from him. Maybe you've thought that it was okay. Maybe you thought, maybe you were close with him for a long time and, and, and have drifted and now you've kind of been living for yourself. I got great news for you. You can come home and he's waiting for you. He's still waiting for you. I can't tell you how many times I've blown it, guys, and he's still waiting for me. And you know what? He's helping me to walk better and better. He's going to continue to bandage your knee, and he's going to help you to walk and run without falling so much if you continue to walk towards